Welcome to another episode of the Good Buddy Sports Bar. On this episode, we wrap up the U.S. Women's Open, talk the Annika Sorenstam drop on her final hole of the U.S. Open. Sepp Straka winning the John Deere, what that meant to his chances of making the Ryder Cup team for Europe. Did a breakdown of our European Ryder Cup team and what we think that's going to look like with the eight kind of solidified positions and then the four wild cards. Alpo came out with quite the 12th man for that European team, so stay tuned to see who he brought up. It was an interesting one, to say the least. Live Golf in London, the Cam Smith winning, as well as letting down his team, uh, what the team aspect is bringing to the game. And throughout all of these conversations, had a bit of a sidebar when it came to the Live PGA merger and what that means for the game of golf the positives, the negatives, and uh, the bright future that we see um, bringing on the team aspect. So hope you enjoy this episode. Don't forget to follow us on Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify. Give us a five-star rating and uh, remember to hit that subscribe button. Welcome back to another episode of the Good Buddy Sports Bar. You got myself, Skinny Burt, and you got Al. Al, how was the golf game last week? Sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. What was the low round? <laughs> uh, well, I played Shushwap National, which has the best greens in the entire Okanagan Valley, or of all the courses I've played, and that's all of them, except for Kelowna Country Club. And I was hot on the front nine, one over on the front, you know, two birdies, or sorry, two bogeys, one birdie. Yep, solid. And then I proceeded to take a stinky dump on the back nine and finish <laughs> at 80. So we need to go back and play there again. It's a great course. I honestly think it's rated a little bit harder than it actually is. Um, I played it from the... I didn't play from the tip, the tippy top, which was like over 7,000, I think. I played it like the combo tips and black or blue. And that's still like 6,800, but yeah, that course needs to be on the rotation. It's like a hundred bucks, including the cart. And it's in absolutely immaculate shape. And if I lived in Vernon or North of Vernon, I would, that would be where I would, I would be a member hundred percent. Yeah. And I've heard great things about that track, salmon arm, Right across the street, pretty much. Very similar setup. A little bit older course played there last year. Unfortunately, Golf North took it over many years ago, and you can kind of see the results of that. And, um, hey, 80 still a good round. Anytime you can keep it single digits over par, not a bad day. So no, I wouldn't not be a, too, too upset. Not a bad day. Yeah. Yeah, salmon Arm, I mean, Salmon Arm was the absolute gem of the Okanagan forever. It's like a perfect old course. Everything about it was just great. I haven't played it since it was, it was bought out. So I don't know, but from what I hear, the members there moved to Shushwap national and I don't blame them because that course is, I'm raving about it and there's better, sorry, there's not better. There's more, highly touted courses around here but that one is as good as 
anything around here and the price is right and it's not that far. It, yeah. Anyone who's listening, which isn't many people yet, but if you haven't played Shoe Swap National, go play it. It's awesome. And uh, if anybody's listening from Tourism BC or from Tourism Okanagan, Vernon, Kelowna, Salmon Arm, um, hit us up. We're looking for sponsorships, even if that means you're paying us in rounds of golf. We will take that. Oh, we'll yeah. take anything right now. I'll so. take that in free golf balls, as long as they're not shitty. <laughs> All right, so a lot happened this past weekend in the world of golf. We had the John Deere Classic, Live Golf was in England, DP World Tour finished up in Norway, and the U.S. Women's Open happened at Pebble Beach. Um, Great weekend for women's golf, Um, picturesque course. Um, brought back some of the legends uh, for some of their final rounds, including Michelle Wee West and Annika Sorensam. Um, shout out to Allison Corpus for the big win there. She just kept on pulling away and hitting great shot after great shot down the stretch. Um, like she said in an interview that I listened to today, just grinding out U.S. Open pars down the stretch. And that's really what you got to do. In a U.S. Open, par is great, and she put in the work early uh, to get ahead of the rest of the field. Charlie Hall on the 18th hole loved her mindset, just getting after it and saying, screw it. We are, at the time, she thought she was three back. We got to get an eagle here, hope for a bogey, um, but shy kids don't get the candy um, in the end. So love uh, love that mentality there. But there was a couple of things that happened, a couple of um, rulings throughout the course of the weekend, um, one of which was with Annika Sorenstam. Not sure if you saw what happened with the drop on 18 for her. No, I didn't. I heard I heard everyone like, well, I mean, the internet was buzzing, but I didn't really see what happened. Yeah. So at first I was, I was getting on her and she kind of had a Karen moment. Um, from my perspective, how I looked at it. So what happened there? Um, she hits her tee shot. And when you look at it from the shot tracker, it just traced on the out of bounds line on the wrong side, on the left side of out of bounds all the way. She was asking for a drop at probably 250 yards out. But in reality, she should have been taking her drop 10 feet in front of her on that tee block because that's where it crossed the hazard. She goes ahead and she calls in for another official, for another ruling. So in essence, hey, can I talk to your manager? So that's where the Karen moment came in. And just and trying to bully the rules official into giving her the drop that she wanted. So it was just, it was kind Wasn't of a ridiculous she like moment. double digits over par? Yeah, at that point, she was either 13 or 14. She ended up 14 over par wasn't going to make the cut and just not a great display on your way out. Like just finish up the last hole, get out and it's not going to change your day. Um, But I think, I think, you know, one of the things that's made her arguably the greatest, well, I don't even know if you can argue about it. The greatest female golfer ever is her competitiveness. And that, and that regardless of whether you're, you know, in your last U.S. Open or your first one or, you know, you're at the height of your powers, you know, that competitor is in you and you're going to lobby for whatever you need to lobby for to make sure you can shoot the best score you can, even if, you know, at that point it's a done deal. So, like, I'm not – I don't blame her 
for you know lobbying for it and and still wanting to make sure she got the best result for herself despite her score but there's a line there and and yeah. okay so i've been, so i've come off this, yeah exactly and i've come off my pedestal of like oh this is a karen moment to kind of look at things a little bit more objectively and think about how rulings get swayed on the PGA tour. Like a lot of the guys are lobbying for either a better drop or this is a manhole cover. So I should get a couple more feet. I should get around this tree, whatever the case may be. And they, they typically get it. And what I was thinking is like on the women's tour, they typically don't sway off of what they've said as far as the ruling is concerned. And I don't know if it's because they're starstruck or it's a, sex issue or what it is where these these rules officials just don't care what the women have to say but i thought maybe this is good for the women's game to have somebody who's sticking up for themselves and sticking up for the rest of the women out there trying to get a better ruling in this situation albeit the wrong ruling in the end when you look at the cameras but yeah and i think you 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 hit the nail on the head the competitive nature well yeah i think that's why she was number one the other piece to it is like she very well could have thought it was further right than it is. I mean, you set up over a driver and you're looking at your toes and your line for your feet is, you know, three, four feet left, but parallel of where your dri- where the ball is, right? So your line of seeing it is not over where the ball flies. So you're looking at it from a different angle anyway. And, you know, she very well – and and – you know, if it was that tight to the left edge, like you said it is, like her perspective could have been like, no, that was over the edge because she wasn't looking at it from behind where the ball was. She was looking at it from where she was set up. Yeah, good point. Great point. So, um, yeah, I don't so know. So she's like, she's like every amateur golfer out there that thinks that they can hit it 275 when in reality they hit it 250 because of their perception. Yeah, or, you know, those of us who pull it straight down our toe line. I don't know. Like, it's, you know, I think everything I've seen of her, she's very gracious. She's, you know, very classy. She, you know, doesn't ruffle feathers very often. But she is Annika Sorenstam, and she is competitive. And I don't think she was arguing it from a position of – Shit, what's the word? You know, I don't think she was like maliciously arguing it, like knowing it went there. I think yeah. from her perspective, like, no, no, no. I was, you know, I was on the right side of the of the, the markers, line, yeah. not the yeah. left, right? I I haven't seen it, but I you know it kind of gotta give, give her the benefit of the doubt on it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The good and the bad of technology nowadays. But, right. Exactly. Uh, like I said, I jumped to conclusions, and uh, on my jump to conclusion, Matt, I decided to take another turn. So, of course, um, looked at it more objectively the second time. Yeah, but I mean, you mentioned the the Charlie Hall three wood on eighteen. Like, good for her. Like that was. You're sitting under that tree. You're like, she's asking her caddy, "Am I going to hit the tree?" You know. Frankly. She could hit that tree dead on with that three wood. She's going to have a brand new one in the bag tomorrow. And 
I have to think that that partially went through her head. She was just like, you know what? Screw it. If I hit this tree, I hit this tree. Like, unlike when you and I play or any of us play, we're like, well, I don't really want to wrap my foreiron around this tree right now. Whereas she just said, you know what? Screw it. To your point, you know, shy kids don't get the treats. Well, she ripped at it and, you know, she that, did. She did. She tried everything she could to get to that green and two. And I think there was only one person for the week. And this was early in the round that I heard the stat. There was one person for the week that hit that green and two. Well, I, think I don't that, know if it was a tee setup. I I don't know if the girls were getting aggressive enough off the tee, um, but it was just it was a mammoth of a hole. And I think you talk about you and I playing golf and worrying about the tree. I'd be worrying about towing it or noozle hosling it off that tree back into my gut. So that's what I'd be worried about. Well, that tree, I mean, that tree might be the most important tree on a major championship course out there. Everyone is like, you can't not think about that tree when you're hitting your tee shot. Mm -hmm. It's just there. And it's not a big tree, but it can just mess with your head. And, you know, Charlie Hall puts it right underneath the fucking thing. And, you know, she did what she could. She, she, she didn't win, but she, she secured the bag. And, you know, it was a great tournament. You don't often see a U.S. Open where it's like people are going low on the last day. You know, the winner minus nine. Lower than I expected um, for a U.S. Open regardless of gender or anything, especially when you're playing it at where they played it. Like, yeah, I think it was, it was fun to watch. And, and, you know, I appreciate that they, they, they set the course up. So it's challenging and hard, but they don't make it ridiculous. Like lengthwise, right? Like they could tip that all the way out and, you know, have the women play it from almost as far back as the guys. And it would just be a nightmare. Yeah, no, I think it was a good test of golf. Like getting to that minus eight to 10 range is a good test of golf. And like, there's still only a handful of players under par. I, right. I believe I'm, I'm just going to double check, but I believe it was 10. Yeah, it was eight players under par there for the week. Uh, so they, they did everything that they had to do. It wasn't unplayable course still looked like it had a little bit left to give in it at the end of the week they didn't dry it out to the point of the greens and the poa getting all funky and like purple colored but uh no it was definitely fun to watch well Uh, even the top three like the top three are the only ones that shot under par for the day pretty much every day right like you go to the you know t4 bailey tardy or uh um nasa hadeoka Like, they shot minus three, which means one of the days they didn't shoot under par. And that's it. Have you been been working on that last name all day or what? No, I just winged it. (laughs) Actually, do you know that her her, she's actually named after NASA? Like, the the space agency? Yeah. Yeah, I I saw this thing when I was watching it. They said her mom loved that, and that's what they named her. Her dog's name's Apollo. Um, But, like... I, I digress, but really the top three are the only ones that shot under par every day. So if you're looking at a U.S. Open, we all want to watch U.S. Open, men's, women's, whatever. 
where it's just nasty, right? And you actually watch these unbelievable golfers struggle. It didn't look like too many people were struggling in that, but then you look at the scores and you're like, huh, it was a, that was a serious test of golf. Yeah. They weren't struggling to the point of like, it looked ridiculous, but trying to get out of that rough was a chore. Um, Seeing some of the places. And I think part of it is the venue that they're playing in and the mental aspect of it, just pulling shots left and right into positions that folks have never seen before on that course. Yeah. um, Was something. Oh, I haven't played that course in, you know, it's obviously on the bucket list, but to go out there and just be meant and somehow mentally hold it together. Like I would be looking at don't hit it left and it would go freaking right or don't hit it left. And you would just snap like the fact that any of these professional golfers can get around there and not succumb just to the lore and the, the ambiance, if you will, of Pebble beach is, is such, there's so much credit to them for that. Yeah, so we'll hop over to the PGA. Um, Seb Straka ends up locking up the John Deere. Listening to an interview that he had today at one point on Thursday, he didn't even think he was going to make the cut. Struggling to make putts. Um, His uh, putting coach gave him a shout, told him that his toe was a little too high, get over top of the ball a little bit more. And funny enough, it's the same thing that I struggle with. So I'm going to have to keep that in mind moving forward. Uh, maybe I can get his coach to help me out. But um, goes low on 59 watch after shooting 28 on the front side. Um, does pull it into the water on 18 and uh, reminds me of when I'm playing my matches with Mesha at West Haven because there's water on 18. And I remind him every time, don't worry, I'm up on you but there is water on 18. So there's always a chance. Um, I think for him, not only was it a big weekend when it came to winning a golf tournament, but a huge weekend when it comes to his Ryder cup chances. Yeah. I I was watching the end. I mean, he was, he had like a four stroke lead going into 18 and as soon as he finished at minus 21, I was a, I was worried for him with the two guys at minus 19 coming in after. Like there's a par 5 and like, you know, a scorable par 4. I was I was convinced that it was going to at least um a playoff. But even just like looking so he, the top 3, right? Sepp Straka, Brandon Todd, Smalley. Brendan Todd shoots 66, 65, 66, 68. That is a solid four days. You know, Smalley shoots 66, 70, 62, and a 67, right? So, you know, solid four days. Straka shot a 73 in the first round. That's what I'm saying. The putter was not working for him at all. And he fully admits that. He was almost packed in on Thursday. Like the only guy his next stop. The only guy in the top five, or let's say top four, but Shank and Aberg were, were tied in for four. But the closest guy to him was Aberg, who shot a 68 in the first round. So the guy who won it was five strokes worse 
than all five of those guys after and day one. After day one. <laughs> <laughs> and then he shoots 10 strokes better the next day. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's funny. Okay, so you bring up Aver. Watching him last weekend, Jeez, he can, both of them, can get on fire in a hurry. And I think Aberg more so. I'm looking at him as a captain's pick. He's not on any of the rankings very high. But the way that he's played so far in this rookie season, um, there's no ways that I think they can keep him off of that European team just to get some some of the new young guys some experience. Because they really were top heavy at whistling straights. And it almost seemed like the swan song for guys like Casey Westwood at that time. You kind of thought Rosie, a couple of other guys, but like now some of that older generations out, I guess Sergio was also on that team. So some of those guys are not going to be making an appearance again. Um, some of them because they're on the live and the way that the DP world tour works, um, they all gave up their uh, cards there. So they can't be playing on the Ryder cup team, but um, I think that's a separate discussion. Yeah. Yeah. We, we can get but, into but going, that. We got plenty of time. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, going back to Aberg, you know, the, the U S team historically, you know, they've been the bombers, right? Like, when the U.S. team's hosting it, they set the course up so they can just all hit bombs and, and you know wedge it in, all that. And then you get to Europe, and when Europe sets it up, it's a little bit more target golf. It's a little bit more penal, you know, position golf. I would love for Aberg to make it and have a Rory Aberg pairing. Just these yeah. two European dudes that just demolish driver and can just get around any course they want. Now you bring up a great point. It's kind of a flipping of the script when it comes to these two rosters, right? I'm looking at the roster right now. So it's going to be Rombo, Rory, Hovland, Hatton, Fitzpatrick. You got to think Fleetwood and Rosie are kind of locks in there. Lowry, because he's a great locker room guy. Everybody loves Lowry. So he's going to make it. So those are kind of like the eight guys that you're looking at or seven guys that you're looking at that are locks. Of those, you got Rom, McElroy, Hovland, and if Aberg makes the team, you got four guys who hit a, a country mile. Yeah. So you got the longness on the European team. And on the American team, you're losing some of that because you don't have the DJ on the team. Uh, Bryson's not on the team. And Bryson went out there at Whistling Straits, drove the first hole. And we played that first hole quite a few times, probably over a dozen times between the two of us. Mm -hmm. It's unfathomable that you can drive that from I, the back tee. I played it two weeks after the actual Ryder Cup. I don't know how he did it. Like, I, they were still taking down the stands when I was there. And I, we, it was amazing because you get to walk through the tunnel. And then we're standing where he hit it from. And that the fact that he put it anywhere remotely close to that green is is absolutely mind blowing. Now, going back to the European team, like, did you say Hatton too? Yeah. Okay. Tyrell. Like, I feel like Hatton is the wild card on the British or on the European team. 
you could be if you get him in a good hat and spot where he's playing well and he's not tossing the club, he could be as hot as anybody in the world. He's almost like, you know, like everyone hates Patrick Reed, but they still call him Captain America at the Ryder Cup. I feel like he's going to be, I feel like that's Hatton on the European team. Yeah. He's the energy guy that's going to come out. You know what he is? He's essentially the replacement for Ian Poulter. That's a good comparison. On that European team. Yeah. Very emotional player. Very emotional. He's going to play his game. He's going to get pissed. He's going to chuck clubs, which we all love. But if he gets on, you're screwed. Like he's going to win. Yeah. If he start, if he if he finds the groove. Yeah. And that could get scary for the U.S. team. And right. Like you pair him with a level-headed Fitzpatrick. Right. Even a Fleetwood who can feed into that and like get a guy going like that. It like him and Molinari got last time they were in Europe. There's some good parents here that could happen, and um, I kind of like what the Europeans got going on from a team perspective. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about kind of the four remaining spots that they have. So right now they got, like I said, Rom McIlroy, Hovland, Hatton, Fitzpatrick, who are locked in. Then you got, I'm guessing, and again, Fleetwood, Rosie, Lowry. So that takes us to the eight guys that I think are kind of locks. Now we're looking at who's the remaining. Who do you think the remaining guys on that team are? Well, I'm, I'm I was doing a bit of research before on it. There's a guy, a German dude named Yannick Paul, is third on the European points list. He's got like three top fives already this year. You know, he potentially could get it, but from like the main name guys, I think you have to take Seb Straka. Yeah. Um I feel like you have to take A Mm-hmm. But then you're like, you know you've got So I think just to jump in, yeah. I think I think those two are are dead on. Like they're playing on the greatest tour in the world. They're showing results. So those two guys, I think, are going to be on the team. So I think like 10 spots are kind of locked up unless the only one that I see bumping off. So I think right now, nine spots are locked up. Strzok is going to be on the team. Aberg's kind of a wild card at this point. If he can keep up this form, he's in there. So like the British Open could be a huge week for him when it comes to Agreed. getting on to that the, European Even team. the Scottish Open, right? Like. Yeah, yeah. The next two weeks yeah. are going to be be big. Then I think, looking from kind of the way that these guys have performed historically on the European Tour, I think Erasmus Hogard and Adrian Moran are going to be on the team because I don't. I think Adrian's going to take over Yannick in the points mm-hmm. over the next few weeks, and then Erasmus is just playing better golf than Yannick is yep. at this point. So yeah, that's my, those are my four. Yeah. Well, you know, what about Patty? Like he had, so, Patty, so you can hear so had, do- had a good showing <laughs> at the U S open. Like, 
maybe I wouldn't be mad at it. Like I think I think that's that could be an interesting play. Like you got him, or like you know you got like Alex Norin, Victor Perez, um, Seamus Power. There's. Yeah. The only reason why I think that you kind of look at Adrian Morong and um, Rasmus is because they're both European guys. Um, they're very solid over on that tour. Um, yep. And and I think they'd rather go in that route than having like a Seamus Power um, or something like that. Patty, Patty's an interesting one. I'll give you that. Food for thought. So... Here's you a, putting Patty in on for your 12th spot? I have him penciled in. Okay. But it, well, he's he's playing in the British Open, so he's got an opportunity and I think he's he's also playing this week. Yeah, I mean he just keeps doing it, but like even you got like Francesco Molinari? Maybe. Um it just it, I'm I'm going to disagree with that one. His form has not been good enough to yeah. warrant. What about a Sergio? He can't because oh, right. he's live, right? Well, so it's a totally different situation. Well, yeah, I think that's the other piece is like, do they take a different stance? And it's like European-born players versus American-born players for the Ryder Cup, especially with everything that's going on. Because that would throw this like, a gigantic wrench into it. Yeah. And I think, did we touch on it last week? I think we touched on it a little bit last week and you opened it up to this conversation and I like the mindset going forward. I think at this point, allowing that to happen after you've stripped Stenson of his captaincy. Yeah. Agreed. Not a great look. And like, it's a tough one. Like you got to be fair to everybody out there. Um, But yeah, I, I mean, like the it, idea going forward. Yeah, I, I agree. I, you know, Stenson, Stenson should still be the captain, but you know, we all know what happened. But like, you look at at, at Liv, you got Bland played well last week, playing well. Peters, Stenson, uh, who else? You know, like there. There's, I was looking at the list too. Those are the three guys from the European side. And Sergio, saw. but you know Sergio's not having the best time right now. Graham McDowell, like you have. <clears throat> there's a number of Ryder Cup mainstays that oh, Paul Casey, Paul Casey, Westy. Yeah, it's. I'm, I'm excited for the world of golf as this whole quote unquote partnership or agreement or whatever it is evolves and more comes out and we see how it's all all the pieces are going to fall come together but i think let's just assume it's the standard european tour versus the pga tour in the u.s you know it it, with the names we talked about are kind of the the ones that we're going to be expecting yeah and the Kind of the nice thing that came out of this year, this cycle, is that some of those Europeans have fallen off the map anyway, so it took care of that. Some new blood gets in, that European team gets younger, and their top eight, you can put them up against any top eight that the Americans have ever rolled out, and I think it's going to be a very good Ryder Cup coming up. Um, 
I'm I'm getting real excited about it. So um, I just love tournament golf. Like we talked about it last week. I I want more match play. I want more like two ball. I want like I think that may just makes watching golf so much more entertaining than just who's going to shoot the lowest. Who's going to take the lowest number of strokes? Yeah, and you you kind of used some wrestling terminology last week that I think is perfect for what it could create in the team situation. And this kind of rolls into our next topic really well, but um, creating the animosity between two players or two teams like they do in professional sports so well, the reason why you tune in is because you want to see those two rivals that love to beat each other's brains in. I got kind of excited when you had the grouping that was, and I can't remember the two European or the two British in the group, but it was Poulter, Patrick Reed, and I believe it was Westwood in that grouping. And the crowd was given behind it. And those are the sorts of things I think we could, we could look at going forward from a team aspect um, and from a match play aspect. You get Pat Reed, versus Aneem Poulter. You got Captain America when they're in the U.S. You got Mr. England on the other side of the pond um, going head-to-head all the time. And one's the hero, one's the heel. And you can really create some animosity amongst uh, the fans. And it's kind of that Jeff Gordon, Dale Earnhardt situation. Like, everybody needs a hero. Everybody needs a villain or a heel to cheer against. Absolutely. I think that... That's how you make money. You know, everyone, it, it man, you versus Chelsea, like you, there are generational generations of people who have grown up hating Manchester United. You know what I mean? And it's, I don't know. I, I'm excited because the team aspect's amazing, but I definitely want more match play. Like, yeah. I want to see yeah, Cam Smith go straight up head to head with insert name here, right? Like the beauty of match yeah, play is almost like Charlie Hall on 18. Like, well, I guess I'm ripping three wood at this because I have to. Yep. And it, it goes, <laughs> it, yeah, I don't know. I think it, you want to you want to you want to figure out who the best player in the world is. Play more match play, yeah. pitting two guys up against each other, and figure out who is the mentally stronger individual. Figure out who is playing better at that time. It's just it's it's a great way to settle some of these debates um, and create some fun fun environments for players going forward. I'm not saying do it all the time. I don't think you are either, but if we could get four to five of those tournaments throughout the season, um, where this kind of merger company could come into play, I think that would be great for the future of golf. For sure. And and I always go back to like younger Phil Mickelson, like high risk, high reward. Like I I don't think anyone would have wanted to play Phil Mickelson in match play when he was like you know 25 he was an amateur because he was the best player best amateur in yeah the when he was like 25 back in the day years old he would be like well i i understand what you want me to do bones but 
I'm going to hit this three wood out of the rough through that little hole in those trees because that's what I need to do right now. Yeah. And you get more of those moments. You want, you want more people. Man, is that, yeah. Is that Instagrammable? Like those moments are what people are talking about. This is the world we live in now. You want to bring in, you want attention. You want to drive sponsorships. You want to increase the money that you're bringing in. Make it more exciting. Make, give people, people to cheer for and people to hate. Give people just, oh, I looked at my phone in the morning and I'm inundated with these ridiculous shots from the weekend. I mean, I love the NBA as much as anybody else. I love how it works. But when I turn on to watch the highlights, I don't necessarily care who beat who. I want to see something crazy happen. I want to see Vince Carter in his prime throw down a putback windmill just because he can. Yep. Prime through the legs. You know, like, let's let's enter... This is entertainment. People spend money on entertainment. Let's entertain them. Are you not entertained? Is this not why you are here? Exactly. You want more Speaking people? Of- like that goes to my like ball rollback, you know, my position on rolling the ball back or, you know, that kind of thing. The purists I- in golf, yes, they want to see golf played, you know, quote unquote, the right way. The average person wants to see people smash driver and stick wedges to one foot. And you can see why live is becoming more and more appealing because they're doing a lot of the things that our generation and younger, even more so, want to see. And they're really capturing that 18 to 30 something young professional looking for something that's a little bit more high energy, quick pace. You watch it on TV, you get your dopamine dump and you can move on with life in four hours. I even think about Um, it. I even think about it. Like when, when my dad was here and we were playing the rise and he's used to a course that everything's out in front of him, right? He knows where he's going to hit it, this and that. And he doesn't necessarily want to listen to me when we're playing. And I'm like, no, you need to hit it over this corner. His response was, well, you guys play a different game than I do. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, yes, like the younger generation, it would take a little bit more risks with stuff. But, you know, in that situation, it was like, no, dad, like that's the right line is that one, regardless of whether you think I'm just hitting it into the bushes or not. And mm-hmm. I think to get people going, golf's had a resurgence since COVID. You see all the guys on YouTube playing, you know, People want to be entertained by golf. And if that involves, if that means that you have to set a course up or you to be a certain way, or you have to play a certain course where the line is not one that anyone in their right mind sees, then you, that's the way you need to do it. Like Bryson is a perfect example of that. There are times, I remember when he was in that bulking stage where he was trying to hit it 400 miles every time he swung. And there were courses he played where the, even the announcers were like, uh, not sure what line he's gonna, he's taking here. And then he would just blast it over some freaking corner and be in the middle of the fairway, a line that no one has ever taken. Like That's what people want to see. They want to see the entertainment factor. Yeah, it was like when he rolls into the Masters and he 
tells everybody that that bunker on 18, yeah, that's not really in play for me. I'm just going to blast it right past that. And then I'm going to have a better angle into that green. Yeah. Like make the, just make it more fun. Like golf has been this like stuffy game forever, you know, and even the pros, they still have to wear freaking pants. Like why can't they just wear shorts? No one wants to wear pants when it's 30 degrees and 100% humidity outside. Like it's because it's their it's their job. Yeah. So dress like you're going to work. No, I'm joking. No, I get it, but like it needs to evolve and golf needs to evolve yeah. and that's why I I'm a big fan of live for everything they're doing is just they're making it more entertaining. And I was looking at this schedule, the next like little bit of live they're playing the Greenbrier. Mm-hmm. Like, that was a mainstay on the PGA Tour forever. Like, yep. And then after that, they play Bedminster, which I actually have had the pleasure of playing. And it is everything you think it is. But, like... We'll have to get a, an analysis the week of. Well, the... Uh, not, not right now. Not right now. The only, uh, this is the only thing I'll say about it. Say what you want about Donald Trump and his politics and all of that you know um, this isn't a politics podcast we're not going to get into it his golf courses are phenomenal and bedminster is nothing short of that the one thing about bedminster that made me laugh and i love it to this day there's two courses there and on the 18th hole of both courses there's a yardage marker at the 45 yard mark that is the presidential seal because he was the 45th president of the United yeah. States. It is freaking awesome. Uh, I loved it. It, it just, uh, it's, it's great. But like the, the live tournaments, they're playing courses that either were PGA courses or could be PGA courses. And like, why wouldn't you tune in? Why wouldn't you want to go to a live event when you know, like, it's going to be a party. It's going to be fun. It's not kind of all prim and proper. Like that's what we like. We have that's, we have Bluetooth in the cart. None of us tuck our shirts in anymore. We wear hoodies on the golf course. We're going out there to have fun with our friends. You want to grow the game? You need to make it more fun. And I think that's what Liv is doing. Yeah, they're making it more fun. And then something that I've been getting on as of recently when it comes to the PGA is. They had all this talent for so many years that they locked within the four walls of the USA and never let these guys out, save for one or two events a year. They should have been parading them around the whole world, going to Australia, having a tournament there. They should have been going to Asia more often, even Europe and teaming up with the DP World Tour, um, South America, which is underexposed to the game. And they're having a lot more young talent coming through um, South America and Central America. But I, I think for too many years, they locked up the talent. They didn't allow them to get out and you had to come to the U S to play. And that's part of what Cam Smith's beef was. Um, he watched Adam Scott for the last 20 years, only be able to play in the U S come over, play maybe um, I think it was the Melbourne masters or something like that in Australia. And that was it for his whole year playing in Australia. So um, 
Yeah, I just I, I think there's been more opportunities to expand the game. When we saw the reports last weekend of maybe some expansion into India, which is a huge market. I don't care what you say about like what the economics are within that country. There's a lot of headcount there. And if you can start picking off some of those individuals and taking them from, say, cricket or some of the other games that they're playing right now and putting them into golf, I think that could be huge. India, China, like it, there's a, there's so much opportunity in it. I just watched the American Gladiators documentary. I watched the ESPN 30 for 30 one and the unofficial one on Netflix. And that's what they did. They started parading them around in a like uh, arena shows and just maximized it, and it kind of like blew up. And you have all these golfers that you know they're treated like private contractors, but they're not allowed to make decisions as a private contractor. And, and that's yeah. why Live started, and you know they they realize that. I think there's. You want to grow the game, you need more people to see it, more people to be engaged in it, more people to be excited about it. And that's what Liv mm-hmm. is doing. Like you've got Greenbrier, you got Bedminster, you got Chicago, then you got Jeddah in Saudi Arabia. You know, they just played in Spain, they just played in England. Well, not even Spain, they played Valderrama. Sorry, like Valderrama. The crown jewel, the crown jewel in the air. Yeah. Like like have a PGA and, and taking it to Miami for the closing. So, yeah, I mean yeah. it's find all of like Golf Digest just launched just listed the top 100 courses in the world. You should be having a tournament at every one of those. If if you were the PGA Tour, you should have been years ago. Yeah. If you are the okay. premier golf entity in the world, would you not want to take the premier players in the world and put them on all of the best courses? Yes, and Me this is so. where, yeah, and this is where I, I made <laughs> probably looks bad on me, but I made the comment when some don't when get our podcast release. Oh, we're gonna get it. We're gonna get it canceled today. But Jay Monahan um, put out a statement that he had the best doctors in the world working on him, so he was able to come back. Blah blah blah. So I asked, "Did they treat you for flat footedness and greed? Because really, those have been the two calling um, cards for the PGA Tour over the last two decades. They've stayed stagnant and flat footed when it came to a expansion." B, making the game more accessible, and C, making the game more fun. And a lot of what you could have done with the game, we've already touched on. Match play, team play, expanding the game around the go- around the globe, and um, making it more of a show than a tournament-style stroke play event. So, yeah, there's there's been a lot of opportunities for the PGA Tour over the years to expand their global presence but they just have well even the first t like the first t is a spectacular organization spectacular getting kids into golf whether it's you know economically disadvantaged areas or anything like that just like an amazing organization pushing the game forward 
the PGA should have been dumping 10 times the amount of money into that to grow the game. They should have 100%. You know what I mean? Like there's so many avenues and, there. The the drive chip and putt. Yeah, that's great, but you watch a drive chip and putt, those are all kids who are just like very advantaged and those kids have all the advantages. There should be, you know, the first tee should have been the use your term crown jewel. They should that should have been the crown jewel of the PGA, which by the way is a not-for-profit organization. Yeah. So I was going to bring up Cam Smith winning. I love Cam Smith. Team event, the team event over at Live being tight and um, him still winning by one stroke. But that second to last putt that he had being worth a, a great deal to his teammates that he, in essence, let down on the 18th green. It's kind of like when we used to bet on Monday Night Football hanging out at the old CPR Tavern. Uh, picking the over special to keep the game going as long as possible throughout the night. That's what the team event has kind of done to golf um, with these live events. It's kept the golf going, even if somebody's running away with it, even if somebody's got a two, three stroke lead on 18, they're still thinking about, all right, where's my team at and how can I help better position my team? So it was kind of a cool thing to see um, our first time, kind of seeing the team event being um, decided in such a fashion where the winner may have lost the team event for his team. Yeah. It's a new wrinkle, right? Like it's a, it's a new wrinkle in a game that has been so individualized forever. And I'm looking, I'm looking at the scores for the team event. Like, the Rippers, so Cam Smith and, and you know those guys, they're the only ones that played consistently across three rounds. They were minus thirteen after day one, minus ten, minus ten. So minus thirty. Man, Pat Perez, Pat Perez just got on fire on Saturday and Sunday. He came in and he did his thing for the four eights. I was worried about Pat Perez. He cut those that luscious lettuce he had and. <laughs> I was worried, but like you look at the aces, they were only minus three after day one. I know. It's, a, it's an back. amazing, like, and in the stingers, the the team that got third, they were only minus five the first day. So it, yeah. I don't know, man. I the team aspect, old Charles, old Charles Schwartzel really dragged them down yeah, for once because he's been on yeah. Fuego, yeah. but yeah, I love the team. To your point, the fact that like. Cam Smith's got a putt where we're so used to watching golf where it's like, all right, this putt's for, you know, to be the, the difference between a T3 and a solo second. And it's all about his bank account, right? And now mm-hmm. there's that that other wrinkle where, okay, you know, I'm going to make my $4 million bucks, but if I make this putt, I'm still going to make $4 million, Plus, I'm going to make, you know my whole team's going to make another couple mil each and I'm going to make an extra, extra couple mil. So it, it's, it's that aspect where they have. Yeah. Well, I mean that, but you're yeah. also, you're also playing for the full year team points cup right. too. And I don't know, like I got to get more ingrained with 
live in the team aspect, but I know that there is a drop-off point for some of the individual players. So like, do they do it? Like say the premier league or um, any of the soccer clubs where it's like kind of relegation for a team or something like that, where the top four stay um, bottom four fall off sort of thing. Who knows? But yeah. Yeah, that'd be, I mean, relegation for not only the team, but also relegation for players. Like, looking at the team's standings, the Rippers are in eighth. And, like, the Aces are 168 points, or 168 points. The closest team are Torque, and they're 129. Yeah. So, like, it... Yeah, I'm I'm so into the team side of it. I'm so into the individual plus team side. I think it's – you know what the coolest thing would be is if they got to the playoffs and then the entire playoffs in Liv were all match play, like a massive Ryder Cup. Oh, that'd be Like great. a 12-team Ryder Cup kind of team tournament. You've all That's a made good way to add match play. In. You, I like. I it. mean, you've all made your you know shitloads of cash. Now we're playing team play, legit team play for the rest of the year. Well, it's great because you can do it in such a way where you spread it out over how many teams are there? Twelve. Now I gotta go back. There's twelve teams, so you could do it in such a way where it's still spread out over three, probably four days. And you have those matches and on the eve of the matches, you have the presser, they draw the teams, they do all that sort of stuff like they do with the Ryder Cup. So it creates even more intrigue, creates another avenue for um, press releases, social media, all that sort of stuff to go along with it. But yeah, it's just, there's tons of stuff that they can be doing here. Well, you could run it where it's like a four, let's say a five day tournament. And the first two days are round robin uh, match play. Like you have multiple games in a day against multiple teams. And then, you know, it whittles down and, you know, the top eight go on, top four, see you never. And then you got eight teams playing for the next three days. Match play. Yeah. Yeah. Or you could just use the uh, straight up standings from the year and then start matching them up head to head. 112. Yep. 211, so on. Yeah. And then just start whittling her down. Yep. But, uh, yeah. It's just, it's just, there's so much more you can do with the way it's set up in live to drive awareness and buzz and attention to the game than the way the PGA is set up. Because when you get attention, there's five tournaments that get attention. The four mm-hmm. majors and the players. Yeah. And nobody even nobody even cares about the FedEx Cup players. No. I could, I could care less about a guy starting off at neg- minus 10. Like that just, that's not golf. Mm-hmm. That 
it doesn't do it for me. Make the play. Make the. You know what? Make the. I'm, I'm all about the match play at this point. So I'm. St- this is my soapbox. I'm sticking on. I'm sticking to it. Instead of making someone minus ten, minus whatever. Oh, you're first. Like do it until you get. You know, play standard stroke play until you get to the championship, and then find a way to make it a seeded ranked tournament. Cut it down to the final 16. The problem that I find, at least, is when you get into the um, Dell Technologies match play, you only have one, two matches. So the first and second place and then the third, fourth place matches going on on the final day. So it does get a little um, choppy when it comes to coverage. That's why I love the idea of the match play when it comes to the team event because you still got at least four matches going on on that yeah. final day. Um, and if you really wanted to do it for prize money purposes, you still got um, a third place match going on to figure out who gets the rest of the prize money. Or you do like the old um, double elimination. But yeah, there's there's ways to keep the golf going on that final day. Uh, whereas with the um the year-end fedex cup i think it would get a little bit tough to do individual matches yeah and you know i i appreciate that they kind of that they made the switch to you know starting people out at a more advantageous score i think that was a step in the right direction to make the the fedex cups fedex cup playoffs you know more meaningful but yeah, I don't know. I think the moral of it is I think there's so much cool stuff going on with what Liv does that I'm really excited to see how that can all kind of parlay into whatever this new professional golf world ends up looking like. Yeah. The way I see it, because I haven't really put it out there yet, I've kind of noodled it around, talked to some people about it here and there but the way i see it is kind of the new entity being the umbrella and then underneath that you're still going to have the three pillars of pga live and dp but i see each one of those having franchises within it for the team aspect that rolls up into that bigger umbrella um i'll call it the global tour or the elevated tour events at the top um, and then I would like to see some feeder systems from like, say the corn Ferry tour and maybe some other European tours into the PGA and DP world tour. Um, and I was thinking about this as you were talking, when you think about live, you think about how they're set up and structured. They've taken kind of the best parts of European sport, the point system from F1 and kind of trying to get that young fan engaged like F1 does with um, with the technology and how cool mm-hmm. it is to be an F1 fan. And then you take the relegation and um, that mindset from soccer. It's it's kind of great pieces that they brought together. Yeah. It, it, it's, everything needs to evolve. And golf has been like the last thing, the last of the major sporting events to evolve. And like... Yeah, we've got Shot Tracer now and this and that, but like that is the biggest thing that the PJ Tour has done in how many years to really evolve. I still remember the first 
might have been the and I could be wrong with this, but I remember when Fox Sports had the rights to the U.S. Open, and they were the first ones to put. Sh- and I could be wrong, but I feel like this was at Chambers Bay, and they were the first ones to have the shot tracer on every shot. And I remember watching it and going, this should be in every tournament. Because that's the other thing with golf and the the casual fan who maybe doesn't play golf or you're trying to get someone to watch golf on the weekend. Like their assumption is like, oh, these guys just hit it straight. It goes here. That goes here. Boom, boom, boom in the hole. Right. But then you get to watch and you're like, oh, no, wait, he's feathering this choke down nine iron with a cut spin so that it misses this spot and goes over here and hits here and rolls to this spot. And it makes it so much more entertaining to see what they're actually doing. And that is like the, the, the most, the only advancement the PGA tour has done is have way more shot tracers. Everything else is the exact same. Yeah. And that's why they got, I, I wrote this earlier in the week, but that's why they have that 40 plus crowd locked up because they know what they're going to get every Saturday and Sunday, which is a nap on the couch between the hours of like two and four. They can wake up for oh, dinner and by six o'clock, the round is about to wrap up so they can run back to the couch and see the rest of it. Um I think we also want that little remote control car back that Fox had that was running through Chambers Bay, <laughs> yeah. um, hacking that guy's ankles. But yeah, I think I think there's. I said this last podcast. I think there's a lot of great things on the horizon for golf, whether it be live golf, the opportunity to add more competition to the PGA Tour, which is like we both agreed upon much needed to advance them and the game um, or things like links Dow on the NFT side, um, creating new avenues for membership, uh, more inclusive opportunities and uh, lower price point for membership. Um, you brought it up. It's the old boys club um, at a, almost every course in the U S and Canada for that matter. And just allowing more opportunities to people to play at a better price point. Yeah. You got to lower the barrier to entry. Like it, Mm -hmm. it even here, like you can't get a membership anywhere here because during COVID everyone started golfing and the, the, the dynamic on all the courses has changed, has changed so much more relaxed. I couldn't, I, I remember when I was like nine years old and we we're playing at the club and like you had, if you were wearing shorts, you had to wear knee socks. And then it was a big deal when you could wear short socks on the golf course. And now you look at it and I said this before, but like we go to play Thursdays, the, st- the speaker's on. You know, we're rolling in, shoes aren't tied up. Like, it, it's so much more, it, it's so much more fun to play play a game that you can just do and have fun with your friends. You don't have to worry about all the pomp and pageantry around this stuffy game. Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't think we're going to solve all the golf world's problems in just one podcast, but I think we no, but I got a lot, lot of good ground there. Oh, don't we ever. So, all right. I think that's it for today. All right, man. Well, that was good chat. Yeah. We'll chat next Sounds week. Sounds good, man.